Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege to welcome you to the program and please stay with us for this hour as we are going to look into a, an amazing uh, topic, I will say today, because we are looking at Satan's final deception. And we want to know from the Bible how to protect ourselves, how to be able to discern about these uh, deceptions. I'd like to welcome our panel for today, and uh, it's good to have uh, with us Brenton. Welcome to the program. Thank you, uh, Nick. It's a real pleasure to be able to take part in this Bible study today. And Denise, it's good to have you too. Thank you, Nick. I'm very happy to be here. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Morning, Nick and panel and listeners. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Joe, it's good to have you part of this program. Thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure. Len, welcome to the program. Hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us today. Lija, it's good to have you with us today also. Yes, I'm very delighted always to study God's Word. And Ken, thank you for being part of this. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. I'd like to thank Ken uh, in particular because uh, he took an extra bit of time to prepare for this discussion. And uh, Ken, you are going to lead us to facilitate this discussion. Would you be able to take us through, please? Thank you, Nick. Hello, listeners. Our study today, as Nick has just said, is about Satan's final deception. As we look around the world today, we see deception everywhere, from governments, businesses to scammers. People are losing money, their homes, their businesses, even their health, because people give them false information. As if this is not bad enough, millions of people are being fed false information about their salvation. They think they are doing what God has commanded, while in actual fact, it is nowhere near what God has told his followers to do, as laid out in the Bible. So today we are going to look at the master deceiver, the one who started it all. But before we begin, I'm going to ask Jerry if he would open on prayer. Certainly. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious God, we thank you for another opportunity to open your word together and to study this very important lesson. This uh, deception, we've been talking about um, confusion this quarter and how you want to break through that confusion. You don't want the people of this world, the people who you've created in your image, to be confused. But we know that there is an enemy who seeks our destruction and, and tries whatever he can do to, to cause this Babylonian confusion. And he is a master of that, Lord, and, and we need to unmask this confusion and the ways that the devil works. And we're going to do our best this morning or today to um, to do that. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to be our guide, our teacher, our helper, and to help us to reveal what's actually going on. So bless us now, bless the listeners, uh, as we ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jerry. This world is in the grip of evil forces. 
who desire to destroy as many people as possible, especially those who worship God on his holy day, Saturday, and keep his commandments. Soon the world is going to encounter amazing signs and wonders by these evil forces directed by Satan, as we read in Mark 13, verse 22. These events will be so spectacular that they could even deceive God's elect, but for the fact that he has warned us beforehand in verse 23. Jerry, who is being deceived here and why? Well, okay, that's a big question, uh, but um, I'd like to read Revelation 12, verse 9, where it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So it's the whole world. We are given a, a glimpse, as it were, into the future of a coming worldwide deception. And it's repeated and explained in more detail in Revelation 13, where in verse 3 it says, And all the world marveled and followed the beast. This is the beast, by the way, that's described in Revelation 13, verses 1 to 3, that rises up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads the blasphemous name. And it's to this beast that is given the dragon's power, Satan's power, his throne, and great authority. And if you drop down to verse 8 of Revelation 13, it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. So everybody, basically, all the world, all the whole world. Um, then John sees in vision another beast, this time coming out of the earth. And he exercises, again, all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. And that's, that's the why of your question, why? The issue is about worship. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads. And in verse 13 it says that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast. So the dragon, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, wants to deceive the whole world. Because it's about worship. He wants to be worshipped. That's, that's the issue. And he achieves this through deception. The whole world is deceived into believing that they are worshipping God, when in actual fact they're worshipping Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light and deceives the whole world by those signs or miracles which he was granted to do. Thank you, Jerry. By the way, listeners, the beast means a kingdom or power, as told in Daniel verse 7. Satan and his followers are doing their best to induce the whole world, including Christians, to believe in a false worship system. Knowing that this earthly system is led by the main church who has the ear of all the world governments. Lynn. Why is it that all the world will follow this false religious power, especially many Christians? Well, as Jerry has already said, Satan is in the business of worship. And it's not only to get worship himself via 
somebody else or another institution or organization, but he doesn't want people to worship God because if people find out about God, they might confess their sins and receive forgiveness, which would be a pawn lost to Satan. So he's involved in a competition, if you like, a bit like a chess game. Get as many as of the opponent's chessmen as you can. Um, and Jerry also said something about the world is deceived, and Jesus warned his followers about the end times, and he says in Matthew 24, verses 5 and 6, or verse 5, For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So Satan's in the business of deception. And some things might look to be okay, but they're not. There's a verse in the chapter of 14 of Proverbs which goes this way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, sin seems to be right with some people. They like sin. But the end thereof is death. There's no eternal life for people who don't commit themselves to the Lord. Sin has its consequences. And being deceived is just like sinning. You might be totally innocent and believe a lie, but the results are going to be the same. So it's important for us to commit our lives to the Lord and and follow God's word, because that way you won't, can't go wrong. But if you follow uh, various theories that people have cooked up, religious theories I'm talking about, well, I'm sorry, but the end result is not going to be a happy one. So I would like to quote that verse again. It's in Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We need to choose the way of life, not the way of death. In my mind, there are two ways a person can be deceived. The Bible in Romans tells us that one way is deliberate deception. In other words, they know it's not right, but they accept it anyway. And the other way, I believe, is people are deceived because they're not fully aware of, of everything that's happening. Matthew 24 tells us that um, Satan's last day deceptions, which we are studying today, will be so intense that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. It doesn't say the very elect are deceived. It says if it were possible. Uh, my challenge, I guess, today to ourselves and our listeners is study the word of God, because when you do, you can be assured that if you are right with the Lord and you are following faithfully what he's asked you to do, you will not be deceived in Satan's last deception. There's also another category here is not everybody's deceived. Um, some know what is right, but because of inducements and uh, coercion, um, either flattery other promises of a you know 
everything that they've ever dreamt of or coercion and persecution, even though they know what is right, they cave in and become obedient. So it's not everybody's deceived. There are those who haven't really built on the rock, if you like, metaphorically. They haven't made that relationship with God uh, firm and fast. And so when any kind of troubles or anything happens like that, they're very quick to cave give in. it away, give it away and cave into pressure. And, you know, they may not be deceived, but they're in the same boat as those who are. Want to add uh, on that also, because deception, it's a very big thing these days. And many people are deceived, as was mentioned at the beginning, in various ways. Now, the problem with deception is from the Bible perspective, if people don't know about the truth, the Bible says that if you don't know, you are not held accountable. But if you know, then you are held accountable. And that's the purpose of us all studying the word of God and even about this broadcast to reveal God's truth. Then you may not be deceived by the enemy. Because this is how it works. If you are deceived, you may buy a car, for example, and it's going to be a, a junk. You have to put up with that. You are deceived. If you are deceived spiritually, if you don't search for the truth, in the end, you'll also pay a price. What I would like you, my dear friend, today is to take intentional attitude to know the Word of God. I'll invite you to be part of this program. Please send us a text message with your thoughts, maybe a, a comment in regard to this uh, topic. The number is 04-888-808-31. On this number, I would like now to offer you a book. We still have The Great Controversy Countdown. It's a Bible study guide. I'd like you to send us uh, the code SAB1 to the numbers 04-888-808-31. We are gracious today and we are going to offer you another book, The Sabbath Gift. Please send us again a code to the number which we just mentioned, 04 888 one and the code is Sabbath. Don't be shy and request these books. Thank you, Nick. Some important information there. The early reformers, like Martin Luther and all the others, saw that the church was not following God's word, but had had introduced practices that were not found in the Bible, like Sunday worship, having an immortal soul. I'm going straight to heaven when you die. How many people today believe they can talk to those who have died, thinking they are in another world? But what does the Bible say about those who die? Joe, would you answer this? Certainly. And I'll start by reading a text in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 5 and 6. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. 
Also their love, their hatred and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Now the Bible is pretty clear about the state of one who is dead. You know, this is just one text, but there are many, many more. It is clear that the dead know nothing. They're not conscious at any level. It even says that when they die, they do not go on to a reward. They don't go to heaven to live happily ever after at death. We have discussed this uh, many times in our other Bible discussions. And some may say, well, they might die physically, but their soul remains alive and they watch over those that they love. Well, the verse says that their love, their hatred, even envy are now perished. Hence, all the emotions which may have consumed them or us while we were alive are now gone, finished, game over. Job states in another text, Job 7, verses 9 to 10, as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him any more. Well, hence when a, a person dies, it says they disappear. He shall never return to his house. So, so much for the alleged haunting of houses. <laughs> vengeful ghosts (laughs) it raises questions doesn't it the bible is very clear when someone dies it is all over there is no coming back from the dead no awareness in death no purgatory no hell it is asleep thank you joe that was very good brenton you have a comment john 11 covers it very well as well joe has certainly covered it very effectively in john 11 we find lazarus dead he's been dead four days he's actually been buried uh, when christ called him forth from the tomb he said lazarus come forth he didn't say lazarus come down and he didn't say lazarus come up and furthermore john who wrote the book of john and was present at this particular um resurrecting of lazarus if lazarus had had anything to tell about where he'd been between the time he died and when jesus raised him to life he certainly would have said it the Bible is completely silent on it. Well, that's a really very important point, Brenton, and certainly one worth taking notice of. So we've heard that the dead are in the grave. Who are the people talking to that supposedly commune with the dead? Liam, can you answer this? Well, I could take a long time to answer this, but I think Satan is a master of advertising. Because there are, of course, so many people who do believe that when um, someone dies, they go to either heaven or hell. Satan told that lie back in uh, the Garden of Eden. God said, if you disobey, you will surely die. And Satan said, no, you won't. And people have believed that ever since. Now, One of my students years ago, her father was involved in a serious accident. There was a fight which he was an unwilling participant and he uh, had all his uh, abdomens sliced open with glass because he fell on a glass door and it just sliced him open. The student's mother said to me later on, I know he's still there. He visits me each evening when I go to bed. Now, who is this? Either 
it is or it was her husband or it was not. And if it was not, who was it? Now, if it was her husband, God is a liar. Because in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 29, sorry, verse 20, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Full stop. Now, if it wasn't her husband, and this is the question you were really referring to, Ken, who was it? Well, it tells us in Revelation 12, verse 9, that when Satan was cast out of heaven, his angels, those angels who were deceived by him that he would be a better ruler than God, were cast out with him. Where were they cast out? It tells us they were cast out to the earth. So what are those angels doing? Are they just sitting around smelling flowers? No way. They're involved in Satan's business, which is a business of deception. So when people think they see a loved one and their emotions are very vulnerable at these times and there's an apparition, dressed the same, sounding the same, knowing the same, it's not their loved one. Their loved one doesn't know anything. It's one of these angels well, we don't call them angels anymore. We call them evil spirits who can do things that we humans cannot do. And so if any of you listening today, listeners, have had one of these experiences, you've seen a supposed loved one who died, you're not seeing your loved one. It's one of these evil spirits impersonating that person who you love. Now, coming close to home, my sister-in-law, who lives in America, her husband was a, a minister. He also was a, um, a professor in university. He died. He got throat cancer and he died. And one night, my sister-in-law saw her husband, well, what appeared to be her husband. She said, no, you're not my husband. Go away. And he just disappeared like that because my sister-in-law is a committed Christian too. And so these apparent apparitions that people might believe is a loved one are not. They're one of Satan's evil angels who go about doing his business to deceive people into thinking that they're seeing a loved one. And another thing, if that was true, God is a liar and God is not a liar. He cannot lie. It would be against his nature. Thank you, Liam. Some very, very important points there to take note of. Uh, Jerry, you have a comment? Yeah, I, I think it may have already been mentioned uh what Jesus said in Matthew 24, he starts that chapter with um, with the words, take heed that no one deceives you. So clearly deception um, in Jesus' own day and more especially in the time in which we live, right before the end, uh, will be Satan's trump card. 
in fact, um, uh, Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 14, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And we have to remember that we, as human beings, we're emotional beings. And how evil is it, as Len has already alluded, the, that a being can appear pretending to be a departed loved one. And it's not just some uh, flimsy imitation, it's a perfect imitation, both physically uh, and how they speak and the things that they can talk about that only your loved one uh, had done or had known. Satan, that's, that's, that's his final deception where he deceives the whole world. And who are you then to stand up and say, no, that's not the person you think it is? Surely it's only, and that's why we have these discussions, and that, that's why we, we encourage people to study the scripture, because only in the, in, in the scripture can we find the truth about the state of the dead. That's why we spend so much time uh, talking about these issues. So, um, yeah, it's really important to be knowledgeable about uh, what constitutes life and what constitutes death, and, and of course, about Satan's deception. Jerry, as you pointed out, uh, the safest place is to go to the Bible and to learn what the Bible has to say. Just reminding you again, my dear friend, uh, in John uh, chapter 17, verse uh, 17, it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, referring to the Bible, the word of God. I think this is very important. You know, it's a, it's a pity that in Christendom, many, many churches are preaching from the pulpit these errors, like the state of the dead. And no wonder then the Satan will use that. If we as Christians or followers of Christ will teach the truth, Satan deceptions will not have any hold on any of us. But because the deception is preached from the pulpit, from those places where people want to uh, to have assurance that God speaks through those uh, means, then the deception is indeed great. And no wonder about that uh, uh, alarm, warning that even the elect may be deceived. Satan does not want to know or does not want people to know who he is and what his activities are. Uh, he doesn't want people to know how to be saved. So th that's why this is uh, shrouded with mystery, as according to some people. But the Bible reveals what Satan is up to. And so we need not be deceived if we follow the Bible implicitly. If we just follow what people say rather than knowing the Bible ourselves, we, we open ourselves up to be deceived. The verse that was read, it says, Do not turn to mediums or to spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. Sometimes people in their you know, in their grief, do not actually, you know, they actually seek out some comfort from a medium. And 
the Bible tells us you're not going to gain some amazing enlightenment. You're not going to gain any wisdom. In fact, you're going to be defiled by it. It uses that word. And it means, what does it mean? It means to spoil, sully, impair, debase, degrade, corrupt, taint, tarnish. So you will never, ever be enlightened or comforted, truly comforted by visiting or, you know, a spirit, a spirit, spiritist or a medium or clairvoyant, a tarot reader, whoever it is that you're trying to gain that connection with your loved one. It's not going to be good for you in the end. It's only going to harm you. So that's what I get from that text. That's uh, all these comments are incredibly important to our listeners. It reminds me of a story I read many years ago in an English paper, and it was about a bishop in one of the churches, obviously in England, and his son died, and him and his son were very close, and the bishop was so um, overtaken with grief that he too turned to the medium, and then his son started to appear uh, in, in in the flesh, well, not the flesh, but in some form to him, and they would uh, uh, speak with each other. Now, as uh, our panel have mentioned a few moments ago, uh, this deception comes from many of the churches. So you can imagine if this bishop was having these uh, apparitions thinking he's talking to his son, he's going to share it with others, and they're going to think, oh, well, I'm going to contact the medium and, and see if I can, uh, you know, contact my ex-partner or, or whatever it is. Many people turn to mediums. It may surprise your listeners to know that many world leaders also turn to mediums for answers to the world problems, thinking these mediums can see into the future, which in actual fact they are talking to the devils. Are there any other people that do this against God's commands? Brenton, would you answer this? Sure, Ken. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was what we call a prophet in exile. He was sent to Babylon in one of the first uh, Babylonian captivities that Nebuchadnezzar undertook. And he was shown in vision what I'm about to read. So he, that's uh, God, brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. And they were worshipping the sun towards the east. Now, it's interesting to note, uh, Ken and and, uh, listeners, that uh, sun worship goes way back to Babylon. And of course, we've been talking about Babylon the last couple of times, but most of the areas of the Middle East and even other parts of the world worship the sun. Egypt worshipped the sun. Uh, the sun god was Amun-Ra. And then you had the various Canaanite deities, all of whom Baal. Believe it or not, Baal is often referred to as the god of rain or storms, but god, um, Baal was also a sun god. And the Israelites here are turning their back on the altar. Which altar are we were talking about? We're talking about the altar in God's house. They are literally turning their backs on God and worshipping the sun. And uh, Second Kings also talks about another example where the king at the time uh, got rid of all the 
altars and the high places that were being used to worship the sun and the moon and the constellations. And also he removed the, the wooden uh, images from the house of the Lord and took them down to the brook Kedron and destroyed them. I think today, Ken, if Romans 1 tells us that um, people would exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator who was forever uh, praised. Amen. One thing, Ken, that concerns me today, as I look at the push towards, um, uh, what do we call it? Um, we say that there is a climate crisis, a climate change crisis that is taking place in our world. What's interesting is some of the terminology that is being used, such as Mother Earth and things like that, I think if you did a study of the terminology that is being used by a lot of people these days, there's not a lot of difference between what is actually being stated today and what was stated way back then. If you don't worship God as the creator, you're in the category that I've just mentioned in Romans 125. You'll be, you'll be worshiping the created rather than the creator. And this is yet another sin that Israel had added and yet another reason why, and I appeal to our listeners this, why God is calling you to come out of Babylon. He wants you to come out of Babylon on the basis that you must worship him and him only as the one who created you and who rested on the seventh day as a memorial of that. In ancient Babylon, the sun was worshipped, and this practice is taken up by surrounding tribes, including many Christians. Revelation 17 John describes a time when the practices of Babylon, including sun worship, would enter the Christian church during the Age of Compromise, and the Roman leader Constantine was a sun worshipper and passed the first Sunday law, which stated, On the venerable day of the sun, let everyone residing in the cities from great to small rest, and let all workshops be closed. Note, he did not say on the venerable day of the Lord, because as the Bible tells us, that is Saturday. From that time on, succeeding kings, leaders and popes followed his example through decrees and church councils to make Sunday the main day of worship. Even though the Bible makes it very clear, Saturday, the seventh day of the week, is God's chosen day. We have mentioned a number of times over the last few weeks about Babylon of old and Babylon of earth's final days, the false church in doctrine. We have heard that this false church is identified in Daniel 7. Len, would you tell us about this and give us an overview? Okay, well, most people would already know, at least if you listen to this program, that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about an image with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, um, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and the feet were iron and clay. But do you know that God gave this vision to Daniel in a different form? And it says in Daniel chapter 7, in the first year of King Belshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, I think. Yes. Uh, Daniel had this vision, but it wasn't in the form of a golden image with a head, 
and shoulders and arms and thighs and so on. It was in the form of animals. Verse 4 refers to Babylon, says it was like a lion. Second was the Medo-Persians, and that's found in verse 5 of chapter 7, and this was like a bear. And then in verse 6, referring to Greece, this one was like a leopard. And there are certain characteristics of these animals that fitted with that type of kingdom. Verse 7, referring to the Roman Empire, was a terrible and frightening beast. We'll call it a nondescript beast, a beast that has no description according to any other animal. And then something strange occurred with the horns. One, there was a little horn that came and uprooted other horns. And then it describes this horn. Now, a horn is actually referring to a power. And it says in verse 9, Sorry, verse 8, this is Daniel 7, verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Well, it goes on to describe more about this little horn power. It refers to a power. It could be a political or religious power, but it was actually referring to a religious power. So let's have a look at the description. Verse 8, it says, It had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking boastful or pompous words. Now, I think pompous is a better description. And then it was, it grew, it grew up amongst these horns, displaced three of them, and became more imposing. And then later, chapter, it's about in verse 25, that this power made war God's people and persecuted them. And I will pick this up. He will speak against the Most High. Who's that? It's God. He will oppress his saints. He will try to change the set times and the laws. And then it speaks that the saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Now, people have tried to identify who this was. Is it communism? Well, unfortunately, the various descriptions, descriptors do not fit communism. Is it China? No. Descriptors don't match China. And the most uh, fitting power that suits all these, and this might offend some people, but it's not from me, it's from the Bible. The only power in the world that fits this, these descriptions is the papacy, the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church. 
And so I believe that this church has been used by Satan. I know these are hard things to say, and I don't really like to say it, but the church has been used by Satan to deceive people. One of the big deceptions which was uncovered by the Protestant reformers is how to be saved. Now, the church says you can only be saved by following all the all the rules and regulations of the church. Protestant reformers said, no, it's by grace you've been saved. So here in this vision that Daniel had, he was able to see into the future and see an agency that Satan used and still uses, I might add, to further his own goals. It's a... Uh, Thing of deception. I think I've said enough. Thank you, Dan. Nick, do you have a comment? Yes, I just want to uh, mention uh, here, Ken and, and panel, that even though we named here an organization, I would like to just remind our listeners that we mentioned a bit earlier that um, in the early 4th century, Emperor Constantine who is believed that become a Christian, but he decreed at that time that the venerable day of the sun to be kept holy. And that was perpetuating since then. Now, we know through the prophecy, because it's not easy to say that uh, the Bible tells us that the papacy is uh, behind all these things, if we don't know the prophecy, the prophecy speaks about pagan Rome was behind all these things which the enemy, the devil used even to crucify the son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. But pagan Rome transformed into a re religious power, which we know it as apostate. Rome. And then what Len makes references to this organization, it will come much clearer in the picture of prophecy. My dear friend listening today, if you like to know more about this, I'll invite you to ask for this book, which we have prepared for you today. The Sabbath gift. Please send us a text message with the code Sabbath to 04. Triple eight eight zero eight three one. The two most major deceptions are about Sabbath and about the state of the dead. Please request this book and learn more, and the Bible will also show the reality. March seven three twenty one A.D. was, as we've stated, uh, the decree of Constantine. It's interesting to note that Sunday was a sacred day to the pagans. It was known as Sol Invictus. Now, here's, here's the rub as I see it. For those who ignorantly or otherwise worship on Sunday, why would you want to worship on a day that has no uh, greater authority than a Roman emperor and is in fact replicated by what the pagans worshipped on the same day? They worshipped Sol Invictus. Now, the Sabbath 
by contrast, nobody has tried to counterfeit the Sabbath by putting another day on the Sabbath. We have a counterfeit of the Sabbath in Sunday, but Sabbath was set up by God and no one has attempted to add a pagan day or anything like that to the Sabbath. The Sabbath stands unique because it is something that God inaugurated. He sanctified, blessed it, and made it holy. And my challenge, I guess, to all our listeners is, who would you rather worship? Would you rather worship God on the day that he's set aside, or would you rather worship on a day that has no greater authority than people? This false power or church has been identified by all the early reformers as the Roman Catholic Church. The Bible is very clear in this, along with the fact that this part is going to be destroyed when Jesus returns, as told in Revelation 8, 18, verse 2. If you look back in history, you will find that this power killed thousands of God's true followers and will attempt to do the same in the very last days. Now, you may be thinking, who is God's true followers? Again, we need to look into God's word alone to find this simple answer. Denise, would you answer this one? Yes, um, if we look in Revelation 14 and verse 12, uh, it reads, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints, and then it identifies who the saints are, who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So the uh, those who keep the commandments of God, it includes the the biblical Sabbath, Saturday, and the faith of Jesus refers to having a prophetic understanding of who Jesus is, who he truly is, and what his mission is, which is to save the people of the earth. So it's not about worshipping Mary or Peter or statues or any other men. It's about following the commandments in the Bible and worshipping Jesus. Thank you, Denise. That's fairly straightforward, I think. This is so important to understand. Your salvation will depend on knowing God's truth, not man's traditions and rituals. We are on the very brink of the greatest event the world has ever known, the return of Jesus. God has given us his true word in the Bible for all mankind to read it and find out what he requires of us and how he is going to finish this earth. Now, many people think it does not matter what day we worship and the Ten Commandments have been done away with in the New Testament. Joe, would you answer the first part of this, the day of worship, not important? And I'll ask Jerry to answer the second part. Yes, certainly. I would like to read a text uh, from Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Does it matter which day we worship? I think that's been addressed in part. Saturday, Sunday, any day, they're all alike to God. And you might have heard some of these comments. But is that what we find in Scripture? No, it isn't. 
It matters very much to God. It is a day that he chose, that he rested on and blessed. Not a fake Sabbath honouring the sun has been eloquently put before me. A counterfeit day of worship, the purpose of which was to make Christianity more palatable to the pagan population, which were in the majority at the time. And this action may have been done with good intention, but it was an appalling thing to do. In fact, to keep any day but the real one is to dishonor God as the creator. The commandment says, remember, and ironically, most of Christendom has forgotten which day is the true Sabbath. And what's more, they think it's of no consequence. While they may be genuinely ignorant of the substitution of Sunday for Saturday, the true Sabbath, God calls us to remember and to be obedient, even if it isn't convenient. And I'd like to just uh, read a, a short text from Matthew twelve eight. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus claims himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. This lordship does not abolish the Sabbath. For why would Jesus abolish something over which he claims himself as ruler and Lord? What, what's more, it is a sign between God and humankind. And it says they may have, or they, that they may, or may, we may know that it is God who sanctifies us, which ironically is the opposite of defilement, which we talked about before, and means to be set apart or declared holy or consecrated. And there's another text in uh, that what I refer to here is in Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign, a sign, something special between me and them, that they may know that I am the Lord that sanctifies them. So the opposite of defilement is to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be declared holy and consecrated. So the Sabbath has a very important uh, a place. It is God's day. It's set aside, set aside as a sign of our being separate from all evil, from the world, to be his special people, and um, also that uh, we may rest and be rejuvenated and to fellowship with him and other believers. Gary, where does it say in the New Testament that the Ten Commandments are done away with? Well, in fact, it doesn't, doesn't say that anywhere in the, in the New Testament at all. You know, I would have thought that um, if you're going to lean on the New Testament as proof that uh, the Sabbath is done away with and that it was only applicable for those living under the Old Covenant, um, wouldn't Jesus be the ultimate authority as to whether the Sabbath was still uh, in force, uh, still applicable? And I read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, where Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So that's pretty clear. I mean, if English means anything, that's pretty clear. One jot or tittle, that's an expression that really basically means the least part of everything, the tiniest amount. We could say a jot or a speck. As far as Jesus was concerned, the Sabbath was still to be kept. 
because it's part of the law, his law that he gave. And then he goes on to say, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in fact, uh, John in his epistle also says the same thing. Um, you know, it says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So there are many tech verses like this throughout scripture that confirm that uh, the Sabbath is still very much uh, to be hallowed and blessed and kept by God's people. Thank you, Jerry. I believe the Bible is very clear about what God demands of all his people. He knows many have been laid into the end time Babylon and false worship and deceit. He is calling all those who love him to return to him before it's too late. Leija, would you tell us what God is saying in Revelation 18? In Revelation 18, we have an invitation, God's appeal to people saying, come out of her, my people, that you'll not share in her sins because her sins are piled up to heaven and God's God has remembered her crimes. So God invites people to come out of the the apostate church. There are many uh, of God's people in different religious organizations that have compromised biblical teachings. So they do not understand the truth of the scripture, but God's loving appeal is straightforward. Come out of her in the right time. Well, listeners, time has got away from us again. We cannot emphasize enough how important it is to look into your Bibles and search out God's word. You know as you look around you that the world is in a mess. Man does not have the answer to how to fix it. In fact, he is just making it worse. God in his love and grace has told all those who would listen what is coming and what the signs will be just before Jesus returns, which you can find in Matthew 24. Time is moving very fast. Even the non-believing scientists of the doomsday clock have stated that it is only a few minutes to midnight and the end of the world. Your future is in your hands. Why not take time now, while you still can, to secure your place in heaven? My dear friend, uh, please uh, send us a text message to with the code SABBATH, and you will receive this wonderful book, The Sabbath Gift. Please don't hesitate to send us a text message to 4 Joe, would you finish with prayer? Sure. Father, there is so much to process. It may be the first time some of us have heard about these things. No one knows the future but what has been revealed by your word. But one thing we can be sure is that nothing ever takes you by surprise. Your word is the only thing we can rely on. Help us to be obedient and choose you over anything this world has to offer. All things will pass away, but you are eternal. So give us the eternal perspective so that we may incline our hearts to wisdom. Help us not to be afraid to make changes or stand for you because you are with your children always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for your participation. Uh, indeed, a very, uh, I would say, sobering and difficult uh, topic to talk about uh, Satan's final de deception. But the good news is that the Bible teaches us how to 
be prepared for these deceptions and to follow God in all truth. I will invite you, my dear friend, to join us again next time because we are going to talk another about another amazing uh, uh, and important topic, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Until then, may God richly bless you and walk safely in the footsteps of Jesus.